0: Right, uh. <coughs> right, we've um, really just, you know, sort of like been going over a lot of back to basics lately, which uh, is is good to do. But we've been slightly doing it from uh, the angle that I, I was saying that one, one of the problems when you get these... Theological systems um, is that you 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 can get stuck in them, so that rather than reading the Bible for itself, you're actually you're imposing a theological system on the Bible, and uh, you know sort of like the you know sort of like the example that we've been looking at, um, you know has been the thing that you know sort of like in certain theological systems you get, um, you know, sort of like one one that says um, a true believer can never fall away. So according to that system, if you've got someone, no matter how much they've confessed to be a believer and no matter how long they've lived the Christian life, if they end up falling away, then that is proof that they weren't genuine believers. And so you get this idea that one of the evidences of being a genuine believer is that you never fall away and what we did two weeks ago is we went through the scriptures and we were just saying well, look let's let the Bible speak for itself does the Bible um, in any way show that genuine believers can fall away in actual fact we saw the New Testament is full of warnings to believers about not falling away and full of examples of believers who have fallen away. And so obviously, you know, we saw that, you know, that sort of like perseverance of the saints, as that particular theological system uh, calls it. So, you know, sort of like they were saying, in effect, that well, if someone falls away, they weren't a true believer. And so we've seen that might be what that particular system teaches, but it sure isn't what the Bible teaches. Now, the other side of it, the other main theological system in this regard, says, oh yeah, of course genuine believers fall away, but they lose their salvation, they end up in the lake of fire. So, what we've got to do now, is that we've established, yes, genuine believers can well fall away. The Bible makes that absolutely clear, full of examples, full of warnings against it, to people who are believers and of course the Bible is not going to be full of warnings about things that can't happen to you that would be crazy so therefore now we've got to ask the question okay well given that Christians do fall away and of course the main point of this about us is who of us can sit here and announce that we're never going to fall away that would be ridiculous we have no intention of doing so But for any one believer to say, oh, well, I would never fall away. I think probably, uh, well, they're going to say it's a statement of faith in the Lord. Yes, but every believer, whoever's fallen away, at one point had that faith in the Lord that they weren't going to. So in actual fact, to say, oh, well, I'm never going to fall away would actually be a statement of pride, albeit people don't normally see it like that. So therefore, we've got to ask Okay, so if a believer does fall away, are they lost okay and if 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 you think about it really that that is the second most important question there is isn't there the first important you know the most important question that there is is are you saved but given that the next most important question is right. Okay, if you are saved, can you still be lost? And and so obviously this thing about eternal security, as as as, as I tend to to phrase it, becomes uh, really um, in, in, in important. And so what we're going to do is say well, we're going to read through the scriptures and uh, see if uh, well see what they say in that regard. If you go to Romans chapter five and verse one, just. Uh, read a couple of uh, preliminary scriptures and uh, Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 and he says therefore since we have been justified through faith notice the past tense we have peace with God present tense through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace In which we now stand. And so obviously there are loads and loads of verses that we can go to. Simply discover that salvation is by faith. And faith is trust. It's literally, it's trusting Jesus for our salvation according to his word. And Paul talks about it of being a free gift. And so the point that we need to understand about a free gift is that by definition, doing nothing to deserve it, you don't get it by being good. So therefore we would expect that we would therefore discover that you can't therefore lose it by being bad. And of course, it immediately raises the question, if I give you a gift and then later on take it back, well, then it wasn't a gift, was it? It was alone. It kick you see the point? So if we have been given a free gift of salvation, which is what the Bible says salvation is, the gift of God, then if He's given it to us as a gift, if He were to ever take it back, that would make the gift itself dishonest. can you see what I mean? Because it would then come with strings attached. And if it comes with strings attached, it's not a gift, okay? And so we, we need to understand this. Salvation depends purely on Jesus and not us. And one of the things that I find so ironic about, uh, say, these theological systems is, they uh, say, if you, if you take kind of the Reformed theology, the Calvinistic thing, that, that does this thing about genuine believers won't fall away and stuff like that, I mean, at the heart of that is a very, very clear understanding about how it is all the gift of God, if you see what I mean. And so, so therefore, in, in seeing, in this tremendous understanding that that particular system has in regards to the free, the free grace, the free gift, it, it seems to me bizarre that they would then need to, to, to be discounting people who fall away and saying, well, they can't possibly have had the gift. It just seems to m- misunderstand what grace actually is, as if they're not brave enough to actually take that grace to its logical conclusion. Because of course grace can be abused. But just because grace can be abused doesn't mean that you didn't receive grace. And so the point is it depends purely on what Jesus has done. And we receive it as a free gift otherwise it's salvation by works. Okay, So let's, um, let's, let's actually see some very blatant passages that deal with this question. If you're born again, is there any way in which you can end up in a lake of fire? If you are a believer, all right, irrespective of what becomes of you having become a believer, can you lose your salvation? So go, go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And uh, let's read verse twenty-five to, to thirty. And again, we're, we're just we're just wanting the Bible to speak for itself. You know, the plain, the plain text of the Scripture, if if, if you like, John ten, verse twenty-five uh, to thirty uh, to uh, verse thirty-five. Sorry, twenty-five to thirty. Jesus answered, "I did tell you, but you did not believe." the miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me but you do not believe because you are not my sheep not you're not my sheep because you don't believe but we won't get into that in in this study I, my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they shall never perish No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father am one. And what Jesus is saying here, he's clearly speaking of those who become Christians and he says i've given them eternal life because that's what being a christian is you've received the free gift of god all right in christ jesus Receive salvation and then jesus said and they shall never perish now there's no room in a statement like that for qualification is there because if there was a qualification, Jesus would have had to have given it in this sentence. Or what he said cannot possibly mean what it says. And Jesus always means what he says. So he says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And he goes on to say, no one can snatch them out of my hand. All right. Now, he, he, built, he says, look. If you're a believer, I've got you in my hand, and no one can take you out of my hand, alright? And then he goes on to say, I mean, Jesus is pretty great, isn't he? Jesus is pretty powerful. But he then goes on to say, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Mm Now, Jesus then starts talking about his father and he says, he's actually even greater than me. All right. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now, um, you remember in Colossians chapter three, Paul uses this wonderful phrase. He says, your life is hid with Christ in God. All right. And what Jesus says here, if you're a believer, you're in his hand and no one can snatch you out of his hand, but no one can snatch you out of the father's hand either. Now, if you're in Jesus's hand and the father's hand at the same time, and if Jesus says the father is greater than all, what does it mean? Well, it means one, you're in Jesus's hand, all right, and then Jesus's hand is in God's hand. You see the point? And Paul says your life is hid with Christ in God. So here we've got a double security. Jesus says you're in my hand and no one can get you out of my hand. But you're also in the Father's hand and no one can get you out of the Father's hand. He is greater than all. And basically what Jesus is saying here. Do you remember at school, you know, to do this, thing, oh, my dad could beat your dad up. You know, that, that <laughs> sort of thing. Or, you know, whose dad was the... Well, here... Jesus is saying literally that there is no one who can have any power whatsoever over his father, over God the father so Jesus is says he says you're in my hand no one can get you out of my hand now that's enough but it's more than that Jesus said and also you're in my father's hand he's greater than all no one can take you out of my father's hand so the point is that when you have a statement like this we to ask what is it designed to convey is it designed to convey that if you're not careful you could lose this gift of salvation or is it designed to convey that if you believe in jesus you are home dry because this depends purely on the Lord and his power, it doesn't depend in any way upon us. Now, obviously, the, the theolog- one of the theological systems that we're looking at is very hot on this. It says, no, absolutely, no one can take you. But then if you go and fall away, oh, they say, no, that just proves you were never in the Father's hand. <laughs> now, we've seen the big problem with that. Firstly, well, so how do you know you're a Christian? You can't know you're a Christian. Because you can't know you won't fall away. All you can say is, if I'm a genuine believer, I won't fall away. But because you can't know you won't fall away, you therefore can't know you're a genuine believer. And the second thing is that, obviously, they seem to totally discount all the verses we looked at in that last study that precisely make clear that genuine believers all the way and that is the problem with the theological systems they sort of they prevent you from just accepting what the bible says at face value and so what we've got here is they shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand no one can snatch them out of my father's hand now also um, the thing we have got to deal with now is because this other theological system that says, oh yeah, genuine believers fall away, and if they do, they're lost, is that what they say, because their theological system requires it, so what do you do with a verse like this? They say, ah, but you can jump out if you want to. Now, Jesus specifically says that the Father is greater than anyone you you cannot in any way get in these verses that there's a clause that you can jump out. Because then Jesus would have to be saying, um, they shall never perish unless they jump out of my hand. But precisely because we're sinners, and we all know that, well, who could say they're never going to do that? Can you see, this would render this verse a complete nonsense. And so the point is, with Seeing what Jesus says here, there's only one conclusion that you can come to. Jesus is saying, if you've been born again, if you are one of the elect, if you have trusted me as your saviour for salvation, then you shall never perish. Your life is hid with Christ in God. The moment you were born again, the moment you believed in Jesus, You were made one with Jesus and one with the Father. And that's it. End of story. That is all that is required in order for you to be saved. Now, should you, for the rest of your life, faithfully follow the Lord? Of course. Should we be unfaithful? Absolutely not. Should we fall away? Absolutely not. But if that is the outcome, nevertheless, the whole point is we're saved because of something that has already happened and we're seeing here that Jesus is saying and that which has already happened cannot in any way be undone it was interesting i was reading um some stuff today that someone sent about baptism and it was funny because um you know they've they've been introduced you know sort of by me to to the idea that that salvation in the new testament the moment someone said i believe in jesus they baptize them and when you look at it from you go through the bible there's no question about that the early church they baptized you immediately on profession of faith yet what this guy was trying to struggle with he was accepting that because how can you take the bible seriously um, and turn a blind eye to that it's there throughout the new testament but then he kept saying as well that when you baptise someone, once there's there's sign of true repentance. So what he was saying is that when someone becomes a Christian, you should baptize them immediately upon evidence of true repentance. Okay, see, again his theological system has got him caught in a dilemma. He can't deny that salvation should be immediate. And yet he's got to keep putting in, but there's got to be evidence of repentance. Now, let me ask you, what is the biblical requirement for evidence that you're a Christian? Profession of faith in Jesus. Does the Bible require evidence of repentance before baptism? Well, no, because evidence of repentance has got to take time. And can you see, it's as if even the immediacy of baptism witnesses to the effect that the moment you've believed in jesus as far as salvation is concerned as far as going to heaven is concerned that is a done deal now when we look at sanctification should we live holy lives down here of course we should but the point is our salvation in so far as getting to heaven is not in the slightest bit contingent upon anything that happens after we've been born again it is contingent purely on being born again and nothing else now should we therefore live a holy life of course jesus said if you love me you'll obey my commands but what we're seeing here is that once you've been born again that is all that is needed you've believed you've been given the free gift of salvation that means that you will never ever be judged for your sin and cast into the lake of fire. Because Jesus took that, um, that judgment of our sin upon himself. Go back to John 6. John chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 35 to 40. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you. You have seen me. And still you do not believe. All that the father gives me. Will come to me. And whoever comes to me. I will never drive away. Now. What does the idea, the doctrine of loss of salvation, what exactly is that doctrine? It states that there are certain circumstances when even though you're a believer, Jesus will drive you away. And he'll cast you into the lake of fire. What does Jesus say here? All that the Father gives me will come to me, being born again, becoming a believer, And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day now what is jesus saying here he's saying that when people once people have been born again have come into the kingdom have become a child of god that here we've got absolute statement i will never drive them away so again we've got to ask the question how on earth can you fit into these statements the idea are but if you're not faithful throughout this life if you do get into serious unrepentant sin and end up falling away or even if you live a really holy life but if say you get deceived and you were to convert to catholicism or maybe be taken in by some sect You know become a jehovah's witness or a unitarian if if either of these things were to happen to you living an unholy life or getting deceived by heresy if either of those things happened you become apostate and you lose your salvation now we saw from that study two weeks ago that both those things can happen to true believers They can get into heresy that shipwrecks their faith and believers can get into sin that shipwreck their faith and they can fall away and become apostate. But here what we're seeing is that even if that happens it doesn't change the fact that Jesus said I will never drive them away. So if he's never going to drive them away is there going to be certain circumstances where he would? Well no because there are no provisos in this. And Another example, again, about how these theological systems really hinder is that uh, I remember um, it was on one of the earlier trips to, to the States. And there was um, you know, what, what turned out to be a, a rather unusual and, and I think unfortunate church. It was, uh, it was one of the two churches I went to where I said to Blinda the sooner those churches don't exist... The nicer place this world will be. And uh, the morning with them went okay, Um, you know, but it it was just a question, you know, I knew what I was going into. It was just a question of giving them long enough to find something that they could take issue with me about, all right? And throughout the morning, the teaching went well. Clearly, I didn't say anything that they disagreed with. Uh, But then after lunch, we were doing the afternoon sessions. And um, and they got wind. They kind of worked out that clearly I believed in eternal security. All right. And uh, and but basically the, the approach they then took was was it, it expressing this this grave concern at my belief. And the way they put it, they said, "We would never permit our children." To come to your church, yeah. I said, oh, oh that's, that's sad. Uh, why is that? Well, you believe in eternal security. Oh, yeah, that's right. You believe that it doesn't matter how you live, you're going to heaven, and that's evil. Bible, yeah. You're encouraging people. Is it? You see how suddenly, and <laughs> I explained to them, oh goodness, no. I said in our church, if 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 there were Christians in in unrepentant sin, we would actually do church discipline on them. We wouldn't approve of that, but they were having none of it. Can can you see what I mean? And so again, these verses then become a complete waste of time. Because you're up against people with a doctrine rather than people with scripture. Can you see what I mean? Now, obviously, scripture is going to show you the true doctrine. But what I'm meaning is... That you've got people, they've got their systems, and sadly, they don't let the Bible stand in the way of their theological systems. You see what I mean? Everything is viewed through the system rather than being able to just come to the Bible at face value and let it say uh, what what it says. Okay, um, go go to John yeah. chapter one. <coughs> John chapter one so we've 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 seen Jesus saying, "None can pluck them out of my hand, uh, none can pluck them out of my father's hand, and we've seen him say he will raise believers up at the last day, he will never drive them away you know now these are you know i think I think it's unreasonable that anyone should think I'm being unreasonable in simply Mm. taking these verses at face value. Can you see what I mean? And when you actually get to the point... Now, I, I, I have no objection at all to anyone disagreeing with me on how I interpret these verses. But when it gets to the point where you're willing to actually cast negative aspersions on someone for actually going with what the Bible blatantly says. Again, this is the great danger of the theological systems, all right. Um, okay, right, so John, John chapter 1, um, verse 12 to 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will but born of god Um, obviously one one of the mainstays of uh the the whole thing about being born again is that we become children of god we're actually born into god's family and one of the characteristics of being in a family is that there's nothing you can ever do to stop being in that family. Um, you you can I mean say say you 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 even want to deny your parents, all right? You, you want to deny you know the the you know the the, the genetic parentage that gave you existence. Mm-hmm. Well. you you move to another country, you can renounce them, you can um, change your name by depot. But what you can't ever do is stop being their son or daughter. This is why. And what's interesting is that if people are going to say, oh, well, you can lose your salvation and you can end up in the lake of fire. This is an interesting question. Can children of God end up in the lake of fire? And as soon as we say that, we, we know we're just in the land of, 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 of nonsense now. And of course it begs another question. When Christians fall away, if they're going to lose their salvation, at what point do you get unborn again? Can, can you see the kind <laughs> of <laughs> problems we got here? Go, go to Romans 8 we'll be in Romans 8 a couple of times tonight. Romans 8 and verse 15 to 16 for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba Father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory now you see the point here that we're heirs that there's a family inheritance that's going to come to us now Let's, let's go back to the person who's absolutely renounced their family. All right. And they, they, they want to deny they're even in it. So let's, let's, let's take a believer in the worst state possible. (laughs) Okay. A completely fallen away believer. Okay. Now, is he still going to get his inheritance? Well, even if he doesn't want it, the point about the inheritance that Paul's talking about here, is blow me down, you get it when you die. You see the point? No matter what you think while you're alive, the inheritance he's talking here, you get it when you die. And no matter how backslidden a believer is, no matter how much of a bad attitude he's got towards the Lord, the moment that believer dies, he loses his body, sin resides in the body, he won't be sinful anymore. He'll be extremely repentant that he didn't follow the Lord his whole life. And he'll be with the Lord in glory and he'll get his inheritance. you the point. Now, let's at this point just skip to that well-known parable, the prodigal son. Now, what's interesting is that there we have a picture of the son of a father. And the son precisely took his inheritance and he squandered it. I mean, the worst son possible. Now, here's the point. What was the attitude of the father? He was just waiting for him to come back, wasn't he? You see the point? I mean, was that father, oh, well, you know, that's it, he's out. That abs- No. Mm. No. He was waiting for his son to come back, almost knowing that he would. You see the point? And whether it's in this life or in death, even when there are Christians who do, they go they go off, they squander their inheritance, they end up in the in, in in the pig pen. Now, if they come back to the Lord in this life fine. But if they die in the pig pen, they're still coming back to the Lord, aren't they? Now, is God going to then say, No, no way. Down to Hades, you stay there in torment until I throw you into lake of fire. Well, no, if God is the father of the prodigal son, all he was waiting for was for him to come home. And indeed, when we look at the sin unto death, even when God actually kills Christians because they get so out of order, all he's doing is bringing them home so they can't do any more damage. You see the point. Um, Let's read verse 19 now. Uh, no okay no scrub, scrub those verses go to 1 John 1 John chapter 3 and we're still on this point about being family 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when we appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now can you see again we got a guarantee here that children of God are going to be made like him because they'll see him as he is. Now what's interesting is here John says the incentive that you have to live a holy life is because you're going to be like Jesus. He does not present... Your incentive to live a human a, a holy life and to purify yourself is because if you don 't you 're going to lose your salvation. You see the point of the appeal here the guarantee that we 're going to be with the Lord in heaven is our incentive to live a holy life down here right. so again you know we 're seeing here that any idea that that, that a genuine believer can end up in the lake of fire it just does not square we're seeing here guarantees now go to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're gonna home in on that word guarantee now because in effect People who believe you can lose your salvation, what it is they're unable to do is to say that it's guaranteed. Because all they can do is to say it's guaranteed if you stay faithful. You see what I mean? Uh, strangely enough, um, that, that that place... Um, up up near Derby where I you know sort of did some teaching and then kind of it all went very very quiet um and uh you know obviously they they weren't keen on on having me back and I actually was uh contacted by some people who who, who kind of go there no no they came up to uh that that last teaching thing I did up in Bradford with uh with Gary Ward and, um, and I was chatting with them there, and they told me why it was, and it was because, uh, in the teaching I was doing, it became clear that I believe in eternal security. And, you know, so, you know, that, that, that's it. There were people there, they think that's a true, this is a very serious false teaching. Um, and yet, can you see how great, where all this is, is taking at face value these, uh, verses in the bible but remember if you believe salvation can be lost then the very thing that you don't want to do is to say there's an absolute guarantee obviously where this gets me is how come they sleep at night they seem to be they seem to live as if it's guaranteed that they're going to heaven you know again it's this thing they seem to have confidence they're never going to fall away you know so i mean that again that That seems to be a bit inconsistent. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 to 22. And Paul says, um, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now what Paul's saying here is that when you believe in Jesus, you're born again. You receive the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying is that one of the functions of God bestowing the Holy Spirit on you is that he's giving you the Holy Spirit because remember in 1 Corinthians Paul says no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit that's the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit born again, believe in Jesus and Paul's saying that part, one of the reasons that you receive the Holy Spirit is that he is the down payment of your inheritance that's to come and the fact that you've got the down payment is the guarantee you're going to get the rest now, imagine if you sold someone some something and they took it on a, you know, a payment scheme, so they give you the down payment, the deposit, and then they'll say, I'll pay you the rest. If they don't pay you the rest, what, what does that tell you about them? Well, they're not honest. Well, I mean, you know, they might die before they can pay you, but, but the point, it would show they were not as good as their word. Mm. Now, if God... And Paul says here, God has given us the Holy Spirit as his seal of ownership on us and as the deposit, the down payment that guarantees we're going to get the rest. <clears throat> well, when are we going to get the rest? When we're in heaven, when we're with Jesus, when we're glorified. Hmm. So if the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee that we're going to get the rest, where if if a believer ends up in the lake of fire then god has not been as good as his word the whole point of a guarantee is that it's a guarantee nothing can go wrong and the whole point is this guarantee obviously you, can, you can make washing machines and sell them with a guarantee but nothing's perfect in this world it might go wrong and then you've got to fix it the whole point is this is almighty God to whom all things are possible giving this guarantee so if a believer ends up in the lake of fire it means one of two things, either God is not honest or he's not powerful and he's both. He's all-powerful and he's completely honest. Um, go to Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1. 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you you see the point all this is the moment when you believed in jesus when you turned from your sins when you put your faith in jesus once having done that end of story you've done that having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit Because if you hadn't been given the Holy Spirit you couldn't have repented, you couldn't have believed, you couldn't have said Jesus is Lord. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So, you're God's possession. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the fact that you have the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that you're going to get the rest of the inheritance. And you will get that when you die. And so, again, what we're seeing here is, is can there be any question of genuine believers falling away? So, therefore, when I look at these verses... There's no, sorry, any question of genuine believers ending up in the lake of fire. Now, one theological system says, oh no, but they'll never fall away. But that's no good. We've seen that believers do fall away in Scripture. So the other side says, oh yes, but this is a guarantee assuming you don't fall away. Well, can you see what a nonsense that is? It's either a guarantee or it isn't. And the whole point In all these things. Can you see. It's contingent. On something that has already happened. That we've believed in Jesus. All this stuff. About falling away. Whether believers can or can't. Or if they do. Whether they lose their salvation. By definition all that is to do with the future. This is purely to do with the past. If you have believed in jesus and so therefore we have this absolute guarantee um go to hebrews chapter seven hebrews chapter seven you know and obviously the you know this subject is tremendously important in itself and And it's the main thing. But can you see as well this whole thing about the fact that when you do get these prescribed theological systems, how they prevent you (laughs) from actually taking scripture at face value. They, They encourage you to take some scripture at face value. But the problem with the theological systems, it's all the verses that don't fit in with them. That's the problem. That somehow they do not leave you free to just accept scripture and what it says in totality. Um, Hebrews 7, uh, I'm going to read verse 23 to 25. Now, there have been many of those priests. See, he's talking about, you know, like, you know, the, 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 all, all the priests who, who died, but that's, that's, that's not the main point. He's saying that Jesus is our great high priest, alright, who never dies. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede Mm -hmm. for them. Now, uh, I think the, the RSV, it says he is able to save to the uttermost. Here in the NIV, he is able to save completely. And the Greek word here, Pantiles, it means finally, it means completely, it means utterly, it means fully. you the point. Now, if we could lose our salvation because of our sinfulness, could it really be said that Jesus had therefore saved us to the uttermost. How could it be said that I am saved by Jesus to the uttermost if I could yet lose my salvation? Because can see the point. And so therefore, again, it's vital to understand that the nature of salvation, what is it that salvation is from? It's sin. Now think about it. What use... Would a salvation from sin. Which could be lost. Because of sin. Be. One of the pictures of salvation. We've talked about this before. In the Old Testament Noah's Ark. And you know it when it says about. He built the Ark and he covered it with pitch. Now in the Hebrew. That's the equivalent to the word atonement. Jesus covered our sins. Um, Noah covered the Ark with pitch. Now what that did. Is it made the ark waterproof? Now, what was the judgment? It was water. A flood. Now, therefore, if the ark was going to save people, what did it need to be? It needed to be waterproof. What good would the ark have been if God's design of it didn't include waterproofing it? What would have happened to everyone in the ark? they'd have drowned like everyone who wasn't in the ark now what are we saved from sin so what good would it be if jesus gave us a salvation that could be rendered if ineffective in fact useless by our sin it's like launching out in a boat that's going to sink and that means that we would end up in the same condition of those who aren't saved. End up in lake of fire. So the whole point if salvation isn't sin proof. Uh, and here's the point. Beresford's sin proof. Andy's sin proof. you see what I mean? What one of us could ever sleep at night rejoicing that we are saved. We could only ever fall asleep at night even if we could sleep just crying out to god that he'll keep giving us the grace so that we don't fall away so we won't be lost well that's not what you get in scripture jesus has saved us to the uttermost the salvation he's given me is sin proof and it's me proof and if it wasn't either of those things what good would it be It would be like you know noah and his family Marching into the Ark, God closes the door behind them. The flood comes, and two days later, they've died of drowning like everyone else because the Ark wasn't waterproof, and the judgment got them. That's the whole point. We're saved from the judgment Mm. to come. Um, Okay, uh, go back to Romans 8 now. Romans 8 Romans 8 the most systematic handling of the doctrine of salvation in the whole Bible Um, and of course any commentary any Bible expositor anyone who knows anything about anything to do with the Bible will tell you that at the end of chapter 8 Paul concludes the whole thing about personal salvation moving on then to deal with sovereignty Israel and what it means to live the Christian life now that we are saved Okay, so we're all in agreement Romans 8, the, the climax of his treatment Of this salvation. We started off by reading Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Since we have been saved through faith. Okay, by faith through grace, alright. Now listen to this. Start reading from verse 31. No, we'll, we'll, um, yeah. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? There's a long list there. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered asleep to be slaughtered, sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying it's just as well that that lot can't separate us from God's love because that's exactly what we're going through. Right. Now he moves on. The list gets bigger. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. You see, just in case anything hasn't been covered, he adds, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now it seems to me that in these passages that we've been reading that that, that, that these are neon lights. Um you know he, here, are, here are writings which are going out of their way To make it absolutely clear that genuine believers (coughs) cannot lose their salvation. We've already seen that genuine believers fall away. So it's no use doing this, oh yes this is absolutely true. But of course if you fall away that just shows you're not a believer. I mean come on, where's your assurance of salvation there? And the whole point is that these scriptures are there precisely so that we can have absolute assurance of our salvation. And it's funny, because if you talk to people in each of the opposing theological systems, they'll all agree with that, that Christians are meant to have assurance of salvation. And yet one system says you can lose it if you fall away, and the other system says if you do fall away, it proves you never had it. Now, where is any possible basis of assurance in either of those systems? So, what we've seen is, yes, genuine believers do fall away. There goes one system. And now we're seeing genuine believers cannot lose their salvation, come what may. Well, there goes the other system. And so, you know, sort of like, there's us in the middle. Um being considered deceived and dodgy by each of the two systems. Can you see how crazy that is? Um, And so here is, uh, I think, yeah, absolutely, that that there's no question that if you've believed in, in Jesus, you can't lose your salvation. And of course, the whole point is, if you could, then it means that... Well, I mean how if if you can be lost tomorrow, in what way can you say you've been saved today? Can you see that renders that a bit meaningless. And and of course, we didn't get saved by being good. Quite the contrary, salvation is precisely for sinners. And yet there are those who want to say, Yes, but you can lose it by being bad. And and again, none of this makes any sense at all and i think that probably the uh you know the sort of like the the most serious thing about this is that <coughs> that here we're talking about eternal security so you've got perseverance of the saints being one doctrine concerning all this loss of salvation being the other i i'm saying i'm eternal security all right which almost kind of stands on its own as not really it's just, you know, not really part of an existing system, come what may. I mean, there are loads of people who believe it just like I do, but it's not part of either of the real big um, theological systems. And, and you see, if, if, if you're not where I'm saying we should be, what exactly is the gospel we preach then? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, assuming you don't fall away whereas the bible adds nothing to that now oh yeah should should we live a holy life of course of course and of course it's ridiculous when some in one of the theological systems just want to say oh people like you you're just encouraging sin or you're saying oh you know you you know easy believism you you just you know believing in jesus then you don't have to live the christian life i think you do have to live the christian life But not as a condition for being saved. The condition for being saved is that you've believed in Jesus. If you, if, 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 if you then betray him, I think that's a terrible thing to do. But the wonderful thing is that even if we betray him, he won't betray us. That is the point here. Um, And of course, the other thing as well is that, and this is where you know, sort of people in the you know more the reform kind of thing who say well a genuine believer will never fall away is that they're they're, they're absolutely right in their understanding of this grace it's all of grace it's all of grace and yet what they can't come to terms with is that grace can be abused you see what I mean? so that the point is if, if you're gonna say well Christians who don't follow the Lord but they're glad they're going to be with him in heaven are they abusing his grace absolutely but hang on if it can't be abused it isn't grace is he the point so so therefore yes grace can be abused and if it couldn't be abused it wouldn't be grace anymore does that mean we ought to abuse it absolutely not but as we see the appeal in scripture is that the reason that you shouldn't abuse grace and fall away from it we saw that in the last study didn't we these Verses where Paul talks about you falling from grace. The reason we shouldn't fall from grace is because we ought to live in surrender to the Lord. But if we do fall from grace, grace doesn't stop being grace. And all God has for us is grace and mercy because we've believed in Jesus and because his righteousness has been imputed to us. So here's the point. When you got saved, that salvation wasn't actually anything to do with you at all, except that you were the object of it. The salvation depended on the fact that God imputed to you the righteousness of Jesus, and that is never taken away. What what verse in the Bible says that, having imputed to us the righteousness of Jesus, he's going to unimpute it? It Gives you the point. The heart of the atonement, the heart of of Jesus' substitutionary death, is that he took the punishment of our sin. And us, having believed that and believed in him, we're born again and we get his righteousness imputed to us in exactly the same way that he got our sinfulness imputed to him. And then just finally, what, what father maintains uh, discipline and godliness in his family life? by holding over his children that if they don't match up well that's it they're out of the family I renounce you I reject you that's it is that a good father? well according to the bible that's a very bad father but if Christians can lose their salvation that is the type of father that God is. And I'll tell you the tragedy of when Christians believe all this. Because when you get fathers like that, and there's lots of them, the children who don't end up being cast out are not exactly over in head over heels in love with their father. I mean, they love him, they want to love him, but normally it's fear and repression and duty that hold them in there you see what i mean and so think of it like this as believers if we were to you know sort of like if, if, if we held the belief that if we ever fell away and run faithful we could lose our salvation then that would put us in a position where i would say now it's virtually impossible for you to love God, and the reason is this, the first command is that we love the Lord our God, alright, and our neighbours ourselves, because our problem is we love ourselves, we ne- the Bible never says learn to love yourself, yeah. the Bible says you love yourself too much in relationship to God and other people, so it doesn't say stop loving yourself, it says start loving others as much as you love yourself and then some. Yeah. All right? So the point is if my salvation depends on me remaining faithful to the Lord, okay, then I put it to you I can't possibly love God because I'm too busy trying to serve Him out of a natural sense of self preservation because I don't want to go to the lake of fire. Now, what's the difference then between that and an unbeliever who's not born again but who believes in salvation by works? You see, all those religious unbelievers out there trying to live a good life because they think God will accept them. And we, as Bible-believing Christians, say satanic deception. They're lost. And yet countless millions of Christians deceived by these theological systems actually live their Christian lives on exactly the same basis. And can you see, that makes a complete nonsense of the grace of the gospel. Because salvation is purely by grace. And so, therefore, let's just go back this thing about good and bad father. What was the attitude of the father in the prodigal son? was that a father who, 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 who was oh well he's out yeah. no it wasn't it was a father who couldn't wait for him to come back and when he did come back kind of like you know had a great celebration and what is so interesting as well is that the other son who never did fall away he was there all the time what was his attitude and the point of that parable is to highlight the attitude of the son who was at home. Because he was all sour grapes, wasn't he? And what's interesting is that when you come up against this thing, believers can lose their salvation. I've spoken with believers, and I've mentioned maybe people I I know who have fallen away now. Um, You know, and I mean, I'm talking about people... You know, I'm not, you know, talking about people who have left this church in disgrace. I'm mean talking about people who I've known in the past. They are not living the Christian life. They're not. But I know that they're believers because they followed the Lord and I followed the Lord with him and we were in fellowship together. I know they were genuine believers. All right. And the point is that when you talk about it, when you get people who believe you can lose your salvation, immediately they want to oh no 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 they're not saved and and to me it's as if they don't want them to be saved you see now i want them to be saved i want anyone to be saved i think it's fantastic that someone's saved you see the point but when you get this almost we you know we 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 don't want them to be saved anymore Mm. well doesn't that make us like the son who stayed behind the prodigal father? And I'll tell you what—he was annoyed when the son did come back. He got all the goodies. Mm. That's grace, isn't it? The father represented grace, which is God is the God of all grace, as it says in the Bible. And yet that son—he to me was like a believer who, um, you know, believes you can lose your salvation. You see, he—he he was just—he just didn't have the right attitude in regards to it so you know i think that yeah you know sort of can we lose our salvation oh boy i'm so glad we can't you know because i just know that um if i could lose my salvation it's yet within me to do it (laughs) and uh, so i'm I'm really glad that um however much we mess up that uh, our salvation is secure because of jesus because of him Nothing to do with us at all, but purely because of him.